All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. You're listening to MoneyWise with Davidson Capital Management. Got your MoneyWise guys back inside the MoneyWise studio with me for this weekend show. I have my brother Jeff, Joe Rust, and I am your host, Kyle Davidson. For any new listeners to the MoneyWise program, Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor with our 35th year of business and with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi. We have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your money-wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcast or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. Well, as we kick off every weekend's MoneyWise program, I turn it over to my brother Jeff to go into the numbers from Wall Street from this past week. So, Jeff, take it away. Okay, in the week just passed, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was up about 545 points or 1.4%. The S&P 500 last week was up about 68 points or 1.4%. And the NASDAQ last week was up about 174 points or 1.1%. Now, for the year to date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is up 2.6%. The S&P 500 year-to-date is up 4%. And the NASDAQ year-to-date is up 4.1%. Now, we just finished the month of January. All of the indices were up right at about 1%. I know Kyle's got an excellent statistic about when January is up, the percentage of time that the the whole year is also up. Well, I was going to say this. Now, for the month of January, only up, for the S&P, only up 1%. That is correct. Mm, because year-to-date, the SP is up four. That's because we're in February now. We had one day we in February. Two, yeah. we've, had, we've had two trading days now mm. in February. See, what remember, okay. remember when but we kind of talked about this. I know it, it's, it, it seems a little strange, but remember what happened on Wednesday, which was the day the Federal Reserve announced their results? It was a big down day in the market. That's true. I said, I said the markets gave back like two-thirds of their annual gain. In one day roaring because, back. because of the Fed Federal Reserve meeting, and then it came roaring back. Yeah, exactly, Joe. On Thursday, I think we got almost all of it back. I think that on I think Wednesday the thirty first was the worst day for the S and P since September. Mm. It was like four month, almost four months that, since the S and P had been down that much in a day, and we almost got it all back the following day, and then. With Friday, the news really being driven by Meta's earnings, you talk about a comeback, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Well, that's short. That's what you call the old classic yeah. short squeeze. Kind of massive of short well. squeeze. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when well. you have a stock up twenty percent in a Crazy. day, 
on earnings news, especially one of the Magnificent Seven. I mean, that's I mean, Apple was I think Apple might have been down just slightly yeah. on its earnings news. I think Microsoft was the day following their earnings news. I think it was down slightly. Uh, Google's, I think, may have been down slightly, but don't quote me on it. I know it wasn't. None of them were up 20%. But obviously, Meta blew out everyone's expectations. You know, I guess part of that, you know, they, they declared their first dividend in the history of the company as part of their earnings announcement. But you talk about a comeback for that stock. I don't have, the, I don't have it up on my screen showing where they were. I mean, it, it Facebook, was. Yeah, Facebook. Meta. Yeah. Book face, as you like to call it. Uh, in 2022, the market was really down on them for how much money they were spending on the metaverse and all this, and and that you know uh, Zuckerberg's expenses and you know the hiring and all this was just out of control, and things changed. And I know you got the stat. Yeah, and here was the low price on November the fourth of 2022. Meta closed the day at ninety dollars and seventy nine cents. It closed. On Friday, $474.99. So that is quite a swing. I would say that the chart, as Jim Cramer would say, is parabolic. Yeah. It's parabolic. And that's and it was a classic short squeeze, like you said. To have a company with that kind of size of market capitalization, and I believe they also right. said, yeah, they got to cover their shorts quick by buying, and that's how you cover a short. But I think they also said that Mark Zuckerberg, the wealth that has generated from this time period as when Meta hit its bottom has been the fastest ascension of wealth in history, like outpaced Elon Musk's, outpaced Bezos. I believe another buddy of mine who's a money manager said that I believe on Friday alone, Zuckerberg made $28 billion dollars folks that's a billion with a b in one day of trading oh, of meta paper what's that well yes it's on paper and he had to testify this week too didn't he yeah well he needed to apologize for the damage that you know instagram and facebook has yeah. done to a lot of families and their children um which I, I think that you know just i know we got off course a little bit but that is something that is absolutely going to be necessary like some of the senators said you know they used to think smoking was okay for you you know 50 plus years ago and now they've long since realized that it's very damaging well it's the same thing with social media particularly for females and me being the father of two daughters one being almost 22 one almost 13 it's it's most damaging to the young adolescent girls and so I think all of these social media companies, it's good that Congress is having the, these, this testimony, but something needs to get done to form some kind of protections, whether that's an age limit to have access to social media, what have you. Um, but, you know, there's a multitude of different reasons why I personally don't like Meta, what they did as far as the election is concerned, the, the damage that they do with social media and the youth. You know, so there's just some things that I just don't agree with. Um, even though the the stock itself has made a lot of money, right? And, and in full disclosure, we do not own Meta in in any of our client portfolios. And and given what all that you have just said, is mm-hmm. it not amazing how much that stock is up? And especially this week when the CEO and founder of the company stands up in front of mm-hmm. a congressional. Uh, 
committee. Uh, committee, thank you. And turns around and apologizes to all these people in the room. And pictures of the kids. Sons and daughters who've been affected by this. And the next day, the stock's up 20% on earnings news. You'd have That'll thought, teach him. You'd thought that kind of, of publicity would have taken the stock down yeah. 20%. Well, you, uh, yeah, you would you would think that, but when it's just looking at the you know potential the underlying fundamentals and the value of the stock, that's all what the investors are seeing outside of the damage that it's done to people across this country. But let's take our first commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. You Money Wise guys, will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments, and don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning into this weekend's Money Wise program, continuing to recap the happenings of Wall Street over this past week, uh, kind of got off on a tangent with Meta because Meta had just an absolutely massive short squeeze on Friday, up you know, around 20% after their earnings announcements came out. And as we were saying, Mark Zuckerberg increased his wealth on paper by about $28 billion on the on Friday alone. Um, but Jeff, there was, you know, you were giving statistics about the month of January. And there's kind of an old saying, as goes January, kind of so goes the market for the year. And so we had an up January. Now we did have a kind of a bigger corrective move on Wednesday, the last day of the month. But going into the last day of the month, the market was, you know, up north of 2%. Now statistically, when January closes the month, not only in positive territory, but above the 2% range. Um, going back to the 1930s, the market is positive 92% of the time, and that was a statistic I was reading this past week. Um, so you compound, you, you compound that statistic, having a positive January, and the history of positive Januarys leading to positive years, we're in a year where we're going to eventually see the Federal Reserve cut interest rates, which is also positive for the stock market historically on a three-month, or excuse me, three-month, six-month, 12-month, and 18-month time period. Then presidential election years, which Jeff, I know, or not Jeff, Joe, excuse me, the other Jay in our team gave the statistics about presidential elections with average returns of around 12%, and that goes back to the 1950s. So you have a lot of different ingredients that would create more of a bullish you know, sentiment for all three of us, but other market participants and analysts alone. Now, on Friday, another big piece of news is Mike Wilson, who was the ultimate bear and one of the chief... Perma Bear, one of the chief analysts, chief strategists of Morgan Stanley, it was announced late Friday afternoon that he is no longer on the investment committee. Now, I don't know if he's staying with Morgan Stanley or if he's completely out of the firm. I guess he was under the impression that a broken clock is right at least once 
in, in a period of time. But unfortunately, his level of bearishness, if you followed his recommendations when he was you know, at his height of bearishness, would have cost you a lot of money in unrealized gains. Well, in marketing and advertising, negative ads don't always sell. So that's probably not exactly what they're looking for. But when we're talking about election years and in the average election years, the market is done about 12.3%. But if you break it down quarter by quarter, you know, we're already up 3.964% for the year. First quarter, the market returns 1.3%. Second quarter, 1.5%. Third quarter, which we're all thinking we'll have a good second part of the year, is 6.2%. And the fourth quarter is 3.3%. So things are lining up for us to have, a, a, you know, an, an exceptional year, but that's just a little – I don't get to throw out a lot of statistics on this show, but I had to bring that one up because it supports Kyle's theory about the, the, you know, the first first month well, of the year and 92% well, of the time the year is positive. And, and we'll just we'll just douse our listeners with a little more statistics. When you go back throughout the presidential election cycle, typically when a Republican is leading in the polls, and I think we're all here to say that Trump is most likely the GOP candidate, and I would say be leading the polls across the country against Joe Biden, the market also typically continues to move higher throughout the entire year into the inauguration. With a Democrat, historically, the market kind of meanders around for quite a longer period of time as a run-up to the election. And then after a Democrat wins, you get a slight little bump up in the market towards the end of the year. Now, that also could have a Santa Claus rally effect. But we all are here. We would all agree that at some point in time this year, the Federal Reserve is going to cut interest rates. Now, I know Dad doesn't want us to spend a lot of time talking about the Fed, but the one thing I can tell you from the Wednesday Fed press conference is Jay Powell definitely did not come in with a pocket full of doves at all and doused a lot of cold water on a lot of the financial talking heads expecting to see the first interest rate cut possibly in March. I think that has been thrown out of the window and for all three of us on the MoneyWise program, we have been saying for quite a lengthy period of time now that we weren't anticipating the first interest rate cut to be at least until late spring, early summer. And based on J-PAL's press conference on Wednesday, I would say that we're pretty much in line with what the Fed is thinking right now. Now, obviously, this is all data dependent. If the economy hits a brick wall, in the short term, then obviously that can motivate them to cut rates sooner. But with the jobs report that came out on Friday, you know, which the market at first kind of re- reacted negatively, particularly in the Dow, still ended with a very nice gain for the day. You know, employment definitely, I think, shocked a lot of folks. So, so Jeff, I don't know if you wanted to talk about those statistics. Well, I'd like to talk about a number of things. So, number one. Um, who do you think, right? Uh, well, as, as early as, uh, was it two nights ago, uh, I saw dad and when do you, when, when, when did he tell me he thought the first interest rate cut would be? What do you think he said to me? I think he was saying April, March or April. He said March. Yeah. Yeah. He, he was, March. he was definitely and I, soon. I said, and I said, dad, did you, did, I think it was Wednesday. I said, dad, did you, did you see the, the press conference today? Uh, you know, after that, he said, no, I hadn't seen it yet. And I said, 
it was probably as close to being to, to, to Chairman Powell explicitly saying we will not raise. Oh, pardon me. We will not cut interest rates in March. I don't care what the statistics say. We will. He 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 came just short of that. So there yep. is zero chance of an interest rate cut in March, and there isn't going to be enough time for enough quote unquote bad economic news to occur between that Fed meeting and the next Fed meeting that would cause them to change their mind. And the the numbers on Friday for the unemployment numbers, which Kyle just alluded to, with employers adding 353,000 new jobs, is not going to put any fuel to the fire that there's going to be an interest rate cut in March. Now, if we wouldn't have had Meta up 20%, on Friday, I don't know how much of the S&P 500 gains and how much of the NASDAQ gains could be laid at the feet of Meta. Meta. I imagine it was a bunch because Meta is one of the biggest components of the S&P 500 and of the NASDAQ. Mm-hmm. So I know the Dow was up. I think Dow was up triple digits. Yeah, 134 points 134. Most of that was in the afternoon. Um, you know, if it wasn't for Meta being up 20%, I don't know the markets would have really been up that much on Friday. Uh, and and some I think it was probably driven by the fact that this number really was a surprise, uh, uh, being as strong as it was. I mean, everybody's uh, – at this point, the Fed has pretty clearly to me said they're not going to be raising interest rates, that they're done. Mm-hmm. But this higher for longer, which I haven't heard anybody talking about, Everyone's talking about when are they going to start cutting. I'm not really hearing anybody saying, well, maybe what if they don't cut this year? I don't see them doing anything with interest rates until after the election because they don't want to appear to be necessarily uh, placating to, to the uh, – uh, Partisan. You don't want – they don't want to appear partisan. They don't look like they're, they're in the tank for the Democrats. If they go on and cut rates. Well, so and, and, and talk- they're going to have to be, hold on, hold on. There's going to have to be a lot of negative data, in my opinion, to get them to do that. And I can tell you, ladies and gentlemen, they will not be ahead of the curve. No. They will be behind the curve. They always are behind the curve. They're, they they want to see the data first. They're not going to mm-hmm. act in, in front of the data they don't have in front of them. That's right. They're they're, they're, they're reactive. reactive. They're a reactionary That's right. organization, not a proactive organization. That's right. That's right. And, and, and here's the thing about the employment: they were expecting 185,000 jobs added in the month of January, and it came out of 353. But then, when you look at the revisions from December. You know, December's job number was 216,000 revised up to 333,000. And for the entire year of 2023, the country was averaging the addition of 255,000 jobs per month, every month on average for the year of 2023. And you look at the U6, 
which all of our long-time listeners know, I'm Kyle's the employment favorite, nerd. Favorite. My favorite, the true unemployment rate remained the same at 7.2%, still close to almost an all-time low. Well, let's take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call at our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at one 800 275 2162 if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning in to this weekend's MoneyWise program, we were just going over some of the employment statistics from this past week. Blew out expectations on job creation. 353,000 jobs created in the month of January above the estimates of 185,000 plus. We had revisions from the month of December from 216,000 jobs created up to 333,000 jobs. Now, I know the Biden administration would love to break its arm, patting itself on the back for everything they're doing for the economy to just be driving this job growth. Uh, sorry, Joe. Um, you couldn't drive a big wheel uh, in your cognitive state. Uh, again, these are just jobs coming back as we're continuing to recover the whole job picture from the uh, COVID lockdowns and the global pandemic. It's definitely not for many policies being put in place by the Biden administration. Um, I think the only policy they're driven towards is holding on to their phony baloney job and, and a horrible job at, they're doing at that. Yeah, well, Joe. You look at gas prices. I mean, what, three, two ninety nine to three bucks a gallon. We were it's, about a it's been coming back up. So, I mean, yeah. the reality of the situation is gas prices have almost doubled. All right, since he's been in office because of uh, well, because of his uh, environmental strategy, so to speak. But, I mean, that's where people yeah. are going to feel it. Fuel pressure and the price of the pump leads to inflation and the tail on everything else. But, well, anyways. Well, how about this? I mean, I was having a, I had a lengthy conversation with a client on Friday, and he was just talking about inflation. He's like, yeah, I hear the statistics. I listen to the radio show. I listen to the podcast. But my wife and I went to the Olive Garden with Tip. I dropped $80, Kyle, 80 for, for Olive Garden, for just me and my wife. He's like, this is insane. I mean, everyone is feeling it in their pocketbook. And the bottom line is, is, and this is something that Dad used to say on the radio show, he still says today, you know, voters vote their pocketbook. And if voters are voting their pocketbook, then we know that the, the solution is very clear. Now, you might not like personality, you might not like uh, the insults and the, and the arrogance and what have you, but the bottom line is, is Trump and the Trump administration had policies, had smart policies, wise policies, policies that benefited everybody. doesn't matter what socioeconomic background you came from, the policies from the Trump administration was beneficial to everyone all the way up the chain. And so... It's like if you – it's just uh, – I so wish that, that if, if Trump could just dial back personality, which I know some people love. My wife loves the brashness, okay? That's, that's her. If just a little more presidential, 
I think we would never run into this situation with Biden having to steal the election back in 2020. All right. So, well, COVID had a lot to do with that. Along the lines of not spending too much time talking about the Fed because they really aren't that important. political. I think I think the political talk is equally as unimportant because the markets don't care. That's true. They're not paying attention. Gridlock equals gridlock is good for Wall Street. You know, it always and it always has been. But let me but, ask, but, let me ask you this question: sure. Do you believe the numbers? Do you believe these unemployment numbers? Do you believe these numbers could in any way be fudged? in an election year to paint the incumbent party in as good a light as possible? Because there's some out there that have done some digging that don't believe these numbers. Yeah, because- I, I mean, I think they could be fu- – I think they're fudgeable because even Steve Leisman on CNBC back in December uh, or getting December's jobs numbers at 216 – he was just kind of scratching his head with all of these different types of revisions and why can't we get it right the first time? And he was really starting to question the methodology of how these jobs were calculated. And so I, to, your, to answer your question, Jeff, absolutely. I think so, these numbers can be fudgeable. So there's, there's this new bond king. And we had whose name I cannot remember. Bill uh, Gross. Bill Gross, thank you. That was Jeffrey Gerlock. 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 Yeah. yeah. Right. So the new the new bond king is Jeffrey Gunlock, and he's and they and the media's anointed him that. Not himself. The media has anointed him that, and he's been uh, on the air quite a bit. I mean, he's probably on on average once a week on CNBC, and he came out about a week ago talking about looking at the. Numbers coming from the states in terms of the unemployment statistics, and he claimed, and I have no way of knowing this num- these numbers are are legitimate or not. He claimed that eighty eight percent of the states had been r- reporting rising unemployment over the previous six months, and his question he's having a hard time reconciling that statistic with these nationwide unemployment statistics how can we have almost rising state unemployment 90% of the states reporting rising uh, unemployment but the national numbers are different well it's kind of like but let me ask you this no one in the media has gone out to try to verify or do their own research on this. No one. Yeah. Thank you, Joe. No fact one's check. going out and fact, te- fact check this. Why? Why is no one in the media taken, taken upon themselves to confirm or deny Mr. Gunlock's claims? So when we, get tell a you, number th- like this, when we get a number like this on, on Friday, that's twice what was expected. And then you throw in all the revisions it's just like it, it reeks. It reeks of election year uh, fudging of the numbers. Oh, my gosh. You read it, my it, mind. Uh, you literally read my go. mind. Yeah, uh, since this is a family good. show, I got to stay fudging the numbers, right? Jeff, we are brothers. You literally just read my last thought that I was going to say about if if these employment numbers, they're just as correct as the election results from 2020. But here's okay. one other point. Hold on. Hold on, Joe. Here's one other point. 
this strong employment statistic, what does it do, guys? It backs up the Fed's hawkishness and its hawkish press conference from Wednesday of why they're not going to be cutting rates in March. Because these strong employment numbers... Right, but they also that we're going to be raising rates either. So the market market no, not but not cutting. Now that, now that the market feels that there isn't a statistic out there, it seems at this point that will want them that will cause them to want to say start talking about raising rates again. Now wait, we still have we still have some inflation numbers that will be coming out here in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, you know, will those numbers if they're if they're much uh, hotter than expected, will will we get this? We start hearing this talk again about raising rates. But at the end of the day, you know, for the year to date, yields on the 10-year treasury are up 14 basis points. 0.14%. That's yeah. all the 10-year treasury is up year to date given well, all the things that we just said, given the how much the market is up, given how much this this unemployment number is up and we're up a whole 14 basis points. Well, and, and a chunk and a chunk of that occurred on Friday. I mean, we saw rates move higher on Friday because of that strong employment rate sending the message that the Fed is not cutting rates anytime soon. But here's the funny thing, guys, and I was saying this to, to our client I was having a conversation with on Friday. If if the Fed went back to the old standard, the you know, the personal consumption expenditure number, which is currently below two, when historically it's run 3%, 3.2%. If the Fed was following that, then they have all the cover in the world to start cutting interest rates because we're already below the Fed's 2% mandate if they use the PCE. But they're not. They've shifted to this CPI, which is still, what, 3.7, 3.8-ish for the CPI? So still not close to the Fed's mandate. You are going to say something, Joe? No, I just... If you look at the jobs numbers, what was GDP fourth quarter? Three point three percent. Three point three percent was the first so reading you, of fourth you're not quarter GDP. At all, also, in the financial entertainment press, Kyle used to refer, refer to is the R word recession. You know, I haven't heard no. anybody talk recession at all the last two weeks, and so you know what I'm getting at is obviously the last thing, the last thing the current administration is going to have this year. Is anything related even closely uh, to a recession? Looking like but, a recession, exactly. But but the numbers that we're seeing, it's not even a soft. It's not even a soft landing for the economy. It's kind of like Jeff said. It's a no landing scenario. It's a no landing scenario. We just keep going about our life. We've gone That's through a, a, an interest rate increasing cycle in 2022 into 23. We're holding hot rates higher for longer, and eventually they will start cutting them in the future when can be anybody's guess. Well, yeah, the no-landing scenario that I talked about in our third quarter uh, market comments, the concern there if we had a no-landing scenario was that we would just have interest rates higher for longer, and the market's pricing in these cuts, and the Fed says they're going to cut. What happens if that narrative changes? And and, And we get a strong... Uh, we get a strong inflation number here in a few weeks. That narrative may start to change again, and the market may start to react to that. Well, well and, 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 and I think we want to touch on how all of this kind of combines together as far as when it comes to our listeners' portfolio strategies and kind of our recommendations 
for their portfolio with all of the things that we've been discussing on this weekend show. So let's tackle that conversation in the next segment. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. You Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us at our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at one 800 275 2162 if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So in our last segment of the first hour of this weekend's MoneyWise program, before we went to break, I was talking about all the things we were talking about from the employment picture, economic picture, Fed picture, you know, what does this mean for your portfolio? And we look at the markets, you know, just looking at the S&P 500 and the run that it has been on that really began in earnest on October 30th of last year. We've had a few little pullbacks here and there, but we have not seen any kind of substantive corrective move really going back to the end of October and have had such a nice run with the S&P reaching all-time highs, um, NASDAQ still not back to all-time highs, and the Dow, of course, reaching all-time highs as well. What does that mean for your portfolio? You know, the conversation I had with, with our client on Friday and kind of a philosophy and, and process that we've been utilizing really from the end of 2022 is just being very patient, being very methodical. As we've been saying for well over a year now is for investors not to get too far out over their skis from an equity allocation standpoint, because with how the market is run from the end of October, I would say that we are due for, you know, a, a corrective move. You know, I would say in the, in the next, you know, what handful of weeks. I mean, we're, we're more than due. I mean, when you look at the valuation of the S&P 500, you know, around the 2021 uh, price earning multiple. We're through the, the real meat and potatoes of earnings this past week. So we've kind of got that behind us. You know, some stocks had uh, had their day of getting bludgeoned. And then, of course, like Facebook or Meta on Friday had its day of a massive short squeeze being up 20%. Earnings for the fourth quarter behind us. And we've got, as Jeff said earlier, we've got some uh, inflation statistics, which could be potentially market moving in the next couple of weeks. So just be very careful in here. Now, for us, we're all bullish for the market to be positive this year. You know, we're all on record saying that. But from an allocation standpoint, we are still have not moved our stock positions to our maximum allocation for our tactical range in each one of our asset allocation models. And I was saying before we started the show to Jeff, it's like, man, I'm really waiting and looking for a corrective move to be able to move our allocations to our maximum allocations in stocks as we get this pullback. The question is, is when? What is the timing of all of this? And that's the $64,000 question. So for all of our investors, all of our listeners, just be very careful. Just be patient. we got a lot of runway in front of us as far as this year's market is concerned. 
So we're very close to being the maximum stock allocations because of the appreciation in the stocks that we've had in our portfolio this year. Uh, so statistically, we're, it's not necessarily a significant amount of money to get us to fully invested in stocks. Uh, we have been making some moves in the in the bond side of the portfolio, con- continuing to transition money from uh, shorter term instruments to longer term uh, bond instruments. I know we've got a, we've got some government bonds that are going to be maturing here in the next few months. There'll have to be a decision made on exactly where we're going to be reallocating uh, that money. But you know, typically in in a in a time frame like this, when there's expectations or you know strong beliefs that that we have reached a peak in interest rates, that the correct thing to do in the bond in the bond portfolio, the bond side of the portfolio, is to start to lengthen your maturities in your bond portfolio, locking in higher, longer rates. Now, what's happening right now, which is still the case, is we still have an inverted yield curve. We're still, we still have higher short-term interest rates than we do uh, – Long, you know, long-term interest rates are just lower than shorter-term interest rates, and that's been that's been the case now. I want to say that, that over two uh, years, I was reading that Gunlock article, and I think he said it was eighty weeks in a row mm-hmm. that uh, we've had this inverted yield curve. And you've got to go back to the late seventies, early eighties, when it's been inverted for that period of time. And there's always been. Um, there's always in, the, in those last two time periods, there's been uh, recessions that that followed those inverted yield curves. And you know, we've been talking about, you know, where is the, as as of a lot of folks, you know, anticipating this recession, one of the most anticipated recessions in probably the history of of my career, spanning 32 years, and still it hasn't happened. And with this, as Joe had pointed out in the previous segment, the first reading of fourth quarter 2023's GDP at over 3%, there's no recession on the horizon. In the earliest, could be industry specific. There could be, the, the, the earliest there could be a economic, you know, a whole economic recession as defined by two negative GDP uh, quarters in a row. The earliest that we would know that would be September. Because the first and the second quarter of this year would have to be negative. Well, because the fourth quarter of 2023 isn't going to be. And I haven't seen any indications that are telling me that January uh, was a negative GDP month. So it it just doesn't seem plausible that there's going to be uh, a recession at this point this year, barring – uh, you know, uh, you know, th- is there going to be some wider conflict in the Middle East? You know, is there another worldwide pandemic out there? Doesn't, you know, there, there's no indications of that, uh, and there's no indications of this of the situation in the Middle East necessarily growing into something larger than it already is. Uh, so, you know, to me, as Kyle said, you know, the, how you're allocating a portfolio. Well, it, it's you should have been more invested, obviously, four, you know, six months ago. Mm-hmm. Is it too late to get in? No, I don't think it's too late to get in. Uh, are we going to be up 20% this year in a balanced portfolio? No, 
I don't think that's the case. Do I do I think the S&P is going to be up as much this year as it was last year? No. But so far this year, the uh the 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 magnificent 7 are leading the pace. I think we're almost yeah. again, almost a 3% uh outperformance of the uh S&P 500 versus the equally weighted S&P 500. So, yeah, go. I was going to say, it's no longer the Magnificent Seven. It's the Jim Cramer's Power Six-Pack, as he calls it. Tesla he just, uh, yeah, because Tesla's not in it anymore. He just anointed it the Power Six-Pack. So, you know, we, we have five, or excuse me, we, we own four of the Power Six-Pack stocks. So with that, we're coming up to the top of the hour break. So we're going to take the break, go into the news. When we come back, we'll be diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program and continuing with investor education. So stay tuned. We'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. You Money Wise guys will be back after the news. All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on Money Wise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We've got my father, John, my brother, Jeff. I'm your host, Kyle Davidson, and we are heading into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program. Now, if you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. If you missed the first hour of MoneyWise, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Click on the radio show link where you can listen to today's show as well as past MoneyWise programs. You can also subscribe to our iTunes feed by clicking on the blue note in the upper right-hand corner of our homepage at davidsoncap.com. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. Well, now, as we utilize every second hour of the MoneyWise program going into investor education and wanted to go into a topic that we haven't talked about in quite some time, um, it seems that a lot of our educational segments we talk to we talk to our listeners about the accumulation and the saving side of retirement and, and getting to that uh, retirement red zone but we we seldom discuss what happens once you're in retirement and and really more importantly and more focused on how do you spend in retirement and the appropriate level of spending in retirement to make sure that your retirement nest egg lasts a lifetime. And there was an article, Dad, that you found from MarketWatch in the Wall Street Journal, and it really spurred us into saying to ourselves, you know what, we need to talk about this because I don't think we've covered it enough on this program. I, I think some of our listeners are currently in retirement or right on the verge of going into retirement, and there would be a very solid topic to go into so our listeners can start doing their own 
planning and what I what I call it when I work with our clients or prospective clients, I call it financial road mapping. That's just the, the name I've given it uh, myself as far as what we do for our current clients, for prospective clients as they're transitioning into retirement, just to give them an idea of this is your nest egg. This is what you're projected to need to take out on a monthly basis and on an annual basis. And this is what can happen to your assets as you go through retirement. But there was a survey that was done in this article, and the title of the article is The Surprising Amount Retirees Spend. And this article really kind of goes in two different directions. It, it, kinda, it, it goes into the direction of retirees not really spending hardly anything of their retirement nest egg because they're terrified to spend well, a single dollar. They're concerned about outliving their money. They're concerned about that. But then there's the other side of the coin of retirees going, I don't want to use the word nuts, but spending a little bit more than they should and actually upsizing. And because, again, looking at a sizable amount of assets, let's say you retire You've accumulated a million, $1.5 million, $2 million that it gives them a sense of security that, hey, I can go from a 1,000-square-foot house. I want to build me a new 3,500-square-foot house in retirement because I have all of these assets and not realizing what kind of significant impact that can make on their nest egg. And so there was a survey done uh, back in February, and they found that not only are some retirees not downsizing, but 30% of these retirees that they surveyed have actually upsized their lifestyle and have upsized I mean, that's a surprising their, their, number. their, their and have it? upsized their homes and their lifestyle I, I was quite surprised seeing a 30% increase now granted this is their sample size it's not a huge sample size but again it's an interesting statistic that 30% of these retirees were upsizing um, as they go, as they moved into retirement and I know that if any of our listeners went to a financial planner, went to a financial salesman and said, okay, here's here's my nest egg. I want to start drawing assets off of it to live in retirement. How much should I be pulling out? And it seems that the rule of thumb in the brokerage community and the financial planning community has always been a 4% rule to be not taking out more than 4% of the total value of your portfolio on an annual basis. Now, at Davidson Capital Management, being that we're in our 26th year of business, we have a little bit different experience because we have proof of our management philosophy and how it is performed in good markets, bad markets, higher interest rate environments, and, and of course, the horribly low interest rate environment we're currently in. And we have found that you know our clients have been able to average between a 6 and 7% withdrawal rate on an annual basis and not encroach on their principal assets that they invested with us over the lifetime of the account and we utilize client number 1 that's been with us 26 plus years and what they've been able to withdraw from their account and have not only taken out more than they originally invested with us but actually have more in their account than what they originally invested with us so we know that our philosophy works because we have proof we have the numbers to prove it um, but that four percent rule has been used by the financial service industry for many many years but now because of the 
extremely low interest rate environment. Some of some folks in the financial service industry are now changing that withdrawal rate to between two and three percent. I mean, that's just that's insane, really. That is low. Well, in our opinion, the way we viewed this, this the four percent rule, as as you talked about, Kyle, being used by our competitors and on Wall Street. We've kind of looked at it as they're trying to keep the bar as low for themselves as possible. Uh, that way, they can charge higher fees, sell their products that have loads, uh, you know, sales charges attached to them, and and still meet their four percent maximum rate of withdrawal uh, target that they tell their clients that they want what they want their clients to stick to. So we the, by taking it down to two or three percent. Maximum withdrawal rate per year. That's lowering the bar even more than what was what we what we thought was a pre was a low bar to begin with. With a four percent rule, right? So if you're if you if you got a client that's got a million dollars and you're telling, well, you can only withdraw two percent a year, that's twenty thousand dollars. Well, think about this. I mean, if you put it in the government bonds, ten year bonds, right now. Exactly. You don't need any of this. You can get right at two percent. Exactly. So you don't. You don't need to go to Wall Street to get a two percent withdrawal rate. I mean, you can do that on your own, dealing direct with the Federal Reserve. So that that's absurd. That's why I said that's insane. That's insane. Well, they're they're. Tr- I guess they're trying to cost themselves all the trailing commissions that Dad, you and I talked about on last weekend's show. They're they're trying to cost themselves a lot of commissions because, like you said, you can go directly to the Treasury and buy government bonds, which is a guaranteed rate of return, the only guaranteed rate of return on Wall Street to generate that withdrawal yeah, to, rate of two to one percent. Whether it's two, three, or four percent, in my opinion, this looks like a revenue enhancement to. Uh, Policy by Wall Street. Okay, well, let's take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906 zero zero seven zero or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five two one six two and if you have an investment related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the money wise program you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com so continuing our investor education and it's an uh, and it comes from an article the surprising amount retirees spend and we're talking about spending in retirement and some of the rules of thumb that we utilize with our clients at Davidson Capital Management, uh, but also just some tips for pre-retirees so they can do a quick determination with very simple calculations of whether or not they're potentially ready for retirement and kind of hop on that proverbial horse and riding off into the sunset and some things that they can do and utilize some free calculators uh, that are online for them to do some of their at-home at calculations. Now, getting back to this article, there's a financial research firm. Uh, I, I love the name of it. It's called Hearts and Wallets. <laughs> <laughs> this this research firm, they surveyed uh, a little bit over 1,200 households age 65 and older that had assets of more than $100,000. And the research researchers found that only 12% uh, or I shouldn't say only, they found out that 12% took out over twice 
the 4% rule closer to a 9% withdrawal rate per year, but they also found that 28% withdrew less than 1%. And some of these folks surveyed didn't remove any assets at all from their retirement assets. Now, I would be assuming that these folks either have, A, taxable assets and outside accounts, because most likely they would be asking if it's IRAs or pensions or what have you, or they have traditional defined benefit plans and getting their pension payment. They decided not to take the cash lump sum option, which is what we recommend to any retiree at Davidson Capital Management to take that lump sum distribution from your pension so you gain control of those assets. Or their lifestyle is so modest that their Social Security payments are more than covering their daily living expenses. I mean, that's what that's the only thing I was able to take away from this survey of over 1,200 households that were surveyed. Um, but, you know, one thing that, that was interesting that came out of this article that really spurred us to want to talk about this is this mentality of chunks or nothing. And that means retirees going into their IRA accounts, going into their retirement accounts, and taking a chunk of money out at a particular period of time as opposed to spreading those payments out over a monthly basis. And I wanted to talk about this because being in business 26 years, we deal with this on a weekly basis at Davidson Capital Management where you know, we recommend that if you're going to be living off of your assets in retirement to set up really kind of your own annuity, and I hate to even use the word annuity, but I have to let all of our listeners know the definition of the word annuity means a periodic stream of payments. That's what annuity means. Well, you can create your own annuity through an IRA without actually having to go and buy an annuity, and you do that by setting up a particular dollar amount that you're going to be withdrawing on a monthly basis from your retirement nest egg to live off of in retirement. And this is what we would recommend at Davidson Capital Management as opposed to taking chunks out. And the reason why we recommend not taking chunks of assets out are for a couple of reasons. First off, when you say, okay, I need $15,000 out of my account, and then four or five months later, I need $20,000 out of my account. And then a couple months later, you take another 10000 out. You get to the end of the year, you kind of forget the chunks of assets you took out earlier in the year. And so when you add up the total amount of withdrawals that you took, a lot of times you'll find out that you were violating, again, at, at, our, at our firm, the 6 to 7% withdrawal rate rule where you're part of this group that's taking out 9, 10, 11% of your investable net worth well, by, well, by taking it in chunks. But the other reason why we don't recommend doing this is you save for retirement typically through dollar cost averaging. If you're participating in a 401k, you're dollar cost averaging into the market. It's also wise to dollar cost average out of the market because if you time the withdrawal of a big chunk of assets at the wrong time, it could wind up costing you at the end of the year when it comes down to your total performance return and growth of those assets. And I, An example that I like to use is think of your retirement nest egg like a golden goose. And that golden goose produces golden eggs. And those golden eggs are capital appreciation, dividend income, interest income. 
you want to keep that golden goose as large as possible, as long as possible to create the biggest golden eggs it possibly can. But if you're going in and taking large chunks of that golden goose out, then you start, of course, leaking into the issue of the law of large numbers, meaning you want to keep your number, your retirement nest egg, as big as possible, as long as possible. So instead of taking $10,000 out, let's say you have to take $50,000 out a year. You know, why don't you take $4,000 out a month as opposed to taking $15,000 out every quarter, you know, doing it that way. Uh, so bottom line is, is our recommendation is to dollar cost average assets out of your retirement nest egg as opposed to taking chunks at one time. The other thing we run into is that we'll see situations where um, clients – don't give us the heads up when they're getting ready to need a chunk withdrawal. And it really affects what a manager is doing with the money if he's not told. It's If you know money's coming out every month, you can also plan as a portfolio manager. Mm-hmm. When you do the chunk withdrawals... It can force sales that you don't want to make. And... It may not come at the right time. That's I mean, right. I mean, you're you're affecting the return in your portfolio based on that chunk. Now, if you're fortunate enough to have taken a chunk out in early March of 2000, that'd have been a whole lot better than taking a chunk out in October of 2000. But it averages out. That's true. But it averages out over the life of the but account. But if it's a large enough chunk, you start. I mean, when we, we know you start taking out more than seven percent a year. You run the risk. You're going to be you're going to be running out of money. I mean, depending on how many years this goes on. I mean, we know this. I mean, it's not something we have to study. Twenty five years plus seeing this, and we've had some wild and woolly markets since nineteen eighty nine, and there we're gonna have wild and woolly markets for the next twenty five years. And so you start doing that and you are going to run out of money. And I would say, and Jeff and I have been here long enough, we have seen people run through retirement accounts in a very short period of time, run through inheritances. It happens time and time again. And we will counsel these people and explain to them what's going to happen. But it seems like once it starts, they can't seem to stop it. Yeah. It's it's like hitting an artery that you you can't stop the bleeding. And it isn't, I mean, it's their money. We are there to work for them. But we're also there to counsel, and we will tell, you know, you are going to see this money disappear. A lot of the time when we see people taking chunks out of their retirement accounts, uh, they are more times than not uh, purchases that they shouldn't be making. Um, I've had to advise many times for folks they want to pay off their mortgage. The first thing that happens is they retire, and they have a seven-figure Retirement, and the very first thing they want to do is they want to get totally debt free, and they want to pay off their house, they want to pay off their cars, they want to pay off their credit cards. You know, some of these things we should have been planned ahead of time to have them paid off before you reach retirement. Maybe not necessarily the house, but by taking all these chunks now and converting them to assets that are appreciating at a lower rate or appreciating at no, re- you know, or depreciating, like you know, paying like off a, a car or like a vehicle. Uh, that that that's a real problem. We've also had to counsel folks many times that are 
and I'm going to use the term quote unquote retiring because they're not actually retiring, they're changing careers. And they go in and raid their retirement nest eggs in order to change careers. And I've had several situations where clients would take out 50 or 60% of their money or more to start a new business, change careers, and the, the, the problem that we have as, as long-term planners uh, of, of retirement nest eggs is that, is this new endeavor going to replace this money that you're taking out in a short period of time? If you change careers at 50 years old, you know, and you're 10, 12 years away from retirement, and you take a million-dollar portfolio down to $500,000, are you going to be able to replace that $500,000 in 10 years in this new endeavor to restore your retirement back to where it was before? That's a, that's a, that's a question that, I, that, any, that I've had to pose to several people who did end up taking all the money, and in, many, in several cases we've had you know, one that completely went through their entire retirement nest egg uh, in this new business endeavor, and that's not a good thing. We wouldn't recommend funding a new business endeavor with your retirement nest egg. No. You should go out and, and find other forms of financing, and if you can't get it, maybe you shouldn't be going into that business venture. Well, we're coming to the bottom of the hour break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after these words. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906 0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-2162 and if you'd like to send us an email you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com so continuing our education of about retirement spending and, and really this whole conversation spurred by an article titled The Surprising Amount Retirees Spend we've only got into a little bit of the article because we deal with this on a weekly basis at Davidson Capital Management, so we're really discussing our own personal experiences with our client base and just rules of thumb that we use as an investment advisor and also just some tips uh, for our listeners to utilize in getting prepared for retirement and to make sure that you don't outlive your assets. And one thing, Jeff, you were talking about, folks going into retirement, wanting to pay off their cars, wanting to pay off their credit cards, wanting to pay off their house because they don't want to have any bills coming in. Right. And I think the the key there is is that the retirement planning process shouldn't begin the year before you're going to retire. The retirement planning process should be starting many years, you know, 3 years before. So that you if 3 years before you're planning on retiring, you have these credit cards and this car payment and this house payment, then the planning should start three years before. Well, we need to get the credit cards paid off because they're typically they're typically at much higher interest rates. You know, the cars. Well, that's a what are the rates the cars are at? That's you right. Know, if if you bought them here recently, uh, the their interest rates should be pretty low and probably wouldn't be advisable to pay them off uh, with retirement assets. 
you know, if their interest rates are really low. But because one thing that retirees forget is as you pull assets out of the IRA, they're fully taxable as ordinary income. So now you're paying taxes on this withdrawal to pay off this vehicle or to buy whatever. So it's it's yeah, it's nice that you're paying it off, but you're having to pay taxes on that withdrawal. And and the thing that that we discuss here in the office is well, look at the interest rate. Because we, we get it. We understand. Folks don't like to pay bills. No one likes to pay bills. They don't want to make that car payment on a monthly basis. They don't want to make that mortgage payment on a monthly basis. We get it. But you have to take a look at what is my interest rate? What am I paying? If I have a car note at, say, 2.5%, you want to continue to finance that. I know Jeff and I get this question all the time. Should I be paying cash for a new vehicle? Well, what's the interest rate? Well, it's three and a half percent no don't pay cash for it because just utilizing our our asset builder our moderate allocation our asset builder our goal return for that account over the lifetime of that account is seven percent so i use seven percent as the rule of thumb if the interest rate is below seven percent you finance it if the interest rate is above seven percent okay we can discuss paying cash for it because it Again, you want to keep that golden goose as large as possible, as long as possible, to take advantage of compound interest and the law of large numbers. The other thing about removing money from your retirement nest egg, especially if it's an IRA, to pay off bills is that the income taxes you have to pay. That's right. And, and, and if you don't have cash available to pay those income taxes, where do you have to rate again? To right. pay for those income taxes, so, your IRA again, so it's an ongoing cycle. So if you take, say, a $20,000 car loan at 3%, and you take that $20,000 out of your retirement nest egg, you're giving up $20,000 that, under our philosophy over the long term, might earn an estimated 7% to pay off a 3% loan. So that's 4% on $20,000. You know, four percent on twenty thousand dollars, I believe, is eight hundred dollars. If my mem- if my math is correct, uh, per year, per year, exactly. And then on top of that, let's say you're in a fifteen percent tax bracket, and you take that twenty thousand dollars out. Well, now you're looking at uh, was that three thousand dollars in, in income taxes that you're going to have to pay pulling that money out. So you're giving up. $800 a year in additional income compounded and a $3,000 tax bill in a 15% tax bracket just to pay off a $20,000 car loan at 3%. Well, imagine how that works out if you want to expand it out to paying off a house. It can, you know, it can cost let's say you it's a lot. A couple of hundred thousand dollar house and at a 4% interest rate. You know that those are, those run into some really big numbers. I mean, the taxes alone. You know, if it was two hundred thousand dollars, you might you get hit with a twenty plus percent tax bill. That's forty thousand dollars in taxes. Now, now talking about vehicle purchases or talking about homes, like you were talking about earlier, Jeff. If if you have several credit cards all carrying balances at a high interest rate. You really need to get those paid off before you even contemplate going into retirement. I mean, you really need to have consumer debt 
from the credit card standpoint, that financial house in order before you go into retirement. As I say to prospective clients or current clients, if you have a car note at a low interest rate, that's fine going into retirement. You have a mortgage payment at a low interest rate going into retirement, that's fine. But any consumer debt, you really want to have that paid off before you go into retirement because of all the reasons we were just explaining. You don't want to retire and have to pull out $75,000 to pay off credit card debt because now, here you go again, you're having to pay tax on that distribution to pay these credit cards off. So if you find yourself thinking about retirement and you're sitting on twenty, twenty-five thousand $25,000 in credit card debt, you need to focus on paying off that debt first so you don't find yourself in a situation where you go and you retire and now you're having to pull out 8 9 10% a year out of your retirement nest egg to keep up with all of these bills. But how do you figure out how much do I need in retirement? Now, I will tell you this. If we all knew when the last day on earth was going to be for each and every one of us, boy, retirement planning would be so simple. It would be so easy. But unfortunately, no one knows when their last day on earth is going to be. So you always have to prepare. The oldest saying in the book, prepare for a rainy day. So what you need to do and what we recommend is if you want to maintain your lifestyle, as, as I say to prospective clients, if you're used to eating steak, three times a week, don't think that once you go into retirement, you're going to be eating PB&J and rice and beans three times a week instead of steak. So we recommend to take 12 months of your spending and average them out. Add up 12 months. And if you haven't if you don't keep good records and you're thinking about retirement, you need to start keeping a record every month of what you're spending for your cell phone, your electricity, your water, your entertainment, food, all of your expenses. You add up 12 months, divided by 12, you get your average. And once you have that average, you multiply by 12 again. That is your withdrawal rate per year that you need to take out in order to maintain that lifestyle. Now, if that dollar amount divided by how much you've saved is greater, that withdrawal rate is greater than, say, 7%, then you need to either, A, lower your living expenses somehow, or, B, you need to work longer and you need to save more. And, again, there's financial calculators. There's a website called financialcalculators.com. I absolutely love this website. You can utilize it for free. It has so many calculators and so many different consumer finance and retirement planning arenas, it will blow your mind. And it's a, and it's a website that I use very, very often. In fact, I used it today. So utilize financialcalculators.com, but you need to sit down and do this work. Don't just go into retirement blindly and figure out what you're going to need to be spending on a monthly basis, and that's what we would recommend is taking monthly withdrawals, not chunks. You have to get out of the chunk mentality. And we understand emergencies arise where you do have to tap in more than than what you are taking out on a monthly basis. We get that, but don't make it a habit. I was going to say the the key to managing retirement assets, to me, comes down to one word, flexibility. Absolutely. And flexibility means that your retirement assets are not invested in instruments that... Take that away. 
yeah, that that reduce your ability to withdraw if an unforeseen event comes comes you know happens. And I'm kind of laying this at the feet of non-publicly traded REITs or private placements or annuities of all different kinds. Or even taking a defined benefit payment from a traditional pension. That would be something else, right. taking a traditional roll, pension. Yeah, roll, instead of taking the lump sum, you roll. You just go on and say, I'm going to take the pension and that's it. Because once you lock yourself in to taking that pension payment you're done you you that's the that's it you're only getting that amount of money for the rest of your life for the rest of your life and your spouse's life and then once those two typically once once if you choose the right the, the particular option where you get you get a pension payment for your lifetime and your wife gets a pension payment for her lifetime there's no other assets going to the uh, estate and it's not those payments are not adjusted for inflation. So every month that goes by, that pension payment is buying less. And they're also not guaranteed. That's right. No matter how strong the corporation is, and I know the the refinery businesses here in the Corpus Christi area are very good at taking care of their employees. I mean, we've seen it firsthand. But there are no guarantees in life. And when you have your pension and you're taking those pension payments, and if that pension goes insolvent, very bad things can happen. And we'll talk about that when we come back from our last commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-275. 2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So, in our last segment of this weekend's Money Wise program, uh, before we went to break, Jeff was talking about maintaining flexibility in retirement. And I was talking about taking pension payments. And we were talking about solvency of pensions. The one thing that each and every one of our listeners needs to understand is that there is no such thing as a guaranteed pension from any corporation. I mean, corporations have gone out of business all the time. I mean, I think of WorldCom. I think of Enron. There's other corporations that have gone out of business. The airline, a lot of airline industry or a lot of companies in the airline industry have gone out of business. The reason why we recommend taking a lump sum distribution, if it's available, in your pension, or if you have, if you're lucky enough to still have a defined benefit or pension plan from your employer, the reason why we recommend to take that cash lump sum payout is to be able to maintain that flexibility in retirement and not rely on your former employer to be making those monthly payments to you because you have to understand those monthly pension payments are not hedged are not adjusted for monetary inflation. So what buys you uh, in 2015 is going to buy you a heck of a lot less the payment, the same payment you're getting in 2020 or in 2030. So that's the reason why you want to take that lump sum to have that flexibility and also to have access to those assets in case you do run into an emergency or want to be spending a little bit more that you can afford to spend a little bit more than what your pension payment 
you're receiving is going to amount to. But the other reason is that if a pension goes insolvent, it gets turned over to the PBGC, the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation. And the thing you have to understand is the PBGC has multi-billion dollars of unfunded pension liabilities, and they have a cap set on the maximum amount a pension recipient can receive on a monthly basis. And so if you were lucky enough to be receiving a very sizable, say, a four or $5,000 a month pension payment, well, last I checked, which is it's been a, it's been a while since I've checked, but if memory serves me correct, the PBGC's maximum monthly payout is less than $3,000 a month. So if you're receiving a four or $5,000 monthly pension payment, and the pension gets turned over to the PBGC. Yeah, you just sliced. You just sliced your. Regardless of how much you're receiving a month, you're going to get less. Yeah, you're going to get less. That's right. And something else that we've talked about on past shows: some horror stories concerning these pension payouts. And I've read this right out of the Wall Street Journal: is the actuarial firms crunching the numbers have run into situations where they find out that a pension has been overpaying pension recipients for years and years and years and one day a pension recipient goes to the mailbox receives a letter stating oh we've overpaid you over the last 10 years $150,000 you need to pay that back to us immediately or we're going to cut your pension benefit in half until we recoup that that overpayment it's rare it's rare it's very rare but it happens one thing that struck me was was this um, that was on page two of the and come, going back to the article, uh, and the article titled, let me get back to the title, The Surprising Amount Retirees Spend, um, the roadmap for policymakers and Americans' view of the retirement crisis from the National Institute of Retirement Security found that in a survey of 801 Americans, 67% said that they'd be willing to take less in salary increases today today in exchange for guaranteed income in retirement. And again, this goes right this is laid right to the feet of this pension benefit, this the secure the secure feeling you get from receiving that monthly check from a pension or from an annuity, and unfortunately, these payments are not adjusted for monetary inflation. And we constantly talk about monetary inflation on the Money Wise program because not enough folks in the financial service industry are talking about it. Monetary inflation is the silent killer to the value of your retirement nest egg. Well, what what I see here, when I see people wanting to take less salary today for this Guaranteed amount quote, of money, quote unquote, guaranteed in the future. And the one thing you don't want to do is whatever that payment you're getting at age sixty-five or sixty-six, you're not going to like it at age seventy-eight, seventy-nine. I, I I will guarantee you that. Oh, you're using the G. Yeah, yeah. That's the guarantee. The guarantee is you're, <laughs> you're not, not going to like it. You're not going to like that amount of money ten years down the road. The one thing I'm you know I'm only seventy. I'm not. I'm not. You know I I'm not. Retired, retired. But the one thing that Jeff said that is is the most important word is that flexibility. You cannot give up flexibility. And here's people saying, oh, if you just pay me less money today. I'm, I'm willing to give, take less know, money try, and give up flexibility. And give up flexibility. No. No. I mean, this, this But that's is, fear talking, Dad. See, right. that's the thing. This is fear. These 67% of these 801 people surveyed. This is fear. 
This is the 67% that the annuity community focuses on. That's right. These are the fearful people that we've talked about last year on a show, the Dalbar study of overly emotional investors constantly remembering their losses and their failures and not remembering their victories. And because of the 24-hour news cycle, because of the volatility that's here to stay on Wall Street, it's never going away. And I don't think it's ever going to get any better. You know what I would like to do if I was retiring, if I thought in terms of guaranteed, create a laddered government bond portfolio knowing that interest rates are going up in the future and that guaranteed amount is going to be going up in the future. And guaranteed by the federal government. Instead of taking salary increases in exchange for a guaranteed income in retirement, how about they keep the same salary but contribute more to their 401ks and build up their 401k nest eggs and stop being so fearful about day-to-day movements in the stock markets or what this pundit is saying and that pundit is saying and just pay yourself more in, in, in accumulating retirement assets now because... Taking a accepting a lower salary for in exchange for a guaranteed income in retirement, that's baloney. You, the, the, what it's it's just never that this guaranteed income in retirement is not going to be enough to fund a, comfort, a comfortable retirement. retirement for for most people. It's just not. So so. Pay yourself first now with your increased salary by contributing more to your 401ks and have some money in stocks and have some money in bonds and have some money in cash, but don't have it all in bonds and cash because you're never going to beat monetary inflation over the long term if you're not willing to take a little bit of risk now. And if any of our listeners would like to have a deeper powwow concerning their particular financial situation, you can reach us in our office on Monday at 906 Zero zero seven zero or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five two one six two. And with that, from my father John and my brother Jeff, this is Kyle Davidson saying, "Have a fantastic weekend into your financial health." We will talk to you next week.